Rockers. Welcome to Hoosier Illusion, hosted by me, Neil Tafflinger, and Ryan J. Downey, two grown-up hardcore punks, longtime journalists, and longtime friends born and bred in Indianapolis, Indiana. After growing apart, we're reuniting to talk about who we were, who we are, and where we're going. Follow along as we navigate the rugged terrain of our mental landscapes, littered with pop culture, subculture, and the odd reference to Johnny Ringo, James Dean, Axl Rose, and other notable Hoosiers. This is Hoosier Illusion episode seven. I have to admit, uh, I don't know if it's fear of failure and fear of success, but I was skeptical that we would make it to, I don't know, episode three, let alone seven. It feels like an accomplishment. And also that it will be a seventh episode released in a seventh consecutive week, which having started other podcasts, I don't believe I've ever done that until now. It's... uh... Yeah, having never done a podcast before at all, um, I am I'm cautiously optimistic that that we will get this done and keep doing it every week. Um, and it's not just uh, you know a band that wrote a that did a killer demo and then disappeared. <laughs> I only liked Hoosier Illusions early days. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the original co-hosts when they got when they got replaced by Carson Daly and. Uh, John Goodman's secret son. That's when, <laughs> that's, that's when things really went downhill. It'll be it'll be great. Yeah, if we can pull a full X Files where it's like both leads are totally replaced, uh, or or Dukes of Hazard when our cousins come in. <laughs> <laughs> it's the power of the franchise. Yeah, we're Hoosier illusioning already with those references. That's true. Gosh, Dukes of Hazard has to be "quote unquote" hashtag canceled at this point, right? I mean, they drove around in the generally. <laughs> yeah, no, I I actually think that whatever there was some like <laughs> a truly basic cable channel that was running those like in perpetuity. You know what? This and sounds I, familiar now. Yeah, and then it got. And yanked. I think they they got yanked because, I mean, the the cost of CGIing. Uh, <laughs> The stars and bars out of every episode. Um, out of almost every frame. The car was, other other than the Daisy Duke pants, the car was, was the, the biggest star, yeah. Yeah, so um, I actually worked with a guy who was like a Dukes of Hazard super fan. Brilliant. Yeah. Owned, then own, he went through, owned, owned like the records that Tom Wolpat or whoever did? One of them was, was like a singer. Yeah, it was, yeah, Tom Wolpat was a singer. Um yeah, dude, I loved that show when I was a kid. I, uh, at one point, my dad said, you know that cars don't do that when they drive into bushes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, just let me suspend disbelief, Dad. I'm six. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that, too, is that um, my mom, who was very tolerant of, you know, she was encouraging of like a lot of things that I liked and shows I would watch. I don't know whether it was Buck Rogers or different Saturday morning cartoons. Like she seemed to sort of 
be supportive of my general taste. And Dukes of Hazard was the one thing that she would openly mock as being totally stupid <laughs> and, and, and would leave the room for me to watch alone. Uh, you know, other, other stuff, despite it being kid fair, she would watch it with me, you know, but that was, uh, that was Dukes of Hazard was a bridge too far. So I'd say our parents were, had good instincts there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, nev I never saw the remake that one of the broken lizard guys, the super troopers guys, Jay, uh, directed, um, I want to say it was like Sean William Scott and Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, and uh, Jessica uh, Simpson. Pete, is... Yeah, Pete, a.k.a. Pete Simpson's ex-wife's older sister. <laughs> I don't know who Pete Simpson <laughs> is, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, well, the, yeah, Freudian slip, Pete Wentz. <laughs> right. I thought Pete, Pete Simpson was some, like, NFL star that I didn't know of. No, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, that's what happens to my brain when I'm on Indiana time and you're on Pacific time. And uh, and we're just I, some good old boys. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is horrifying, and I hope I'm not accidentally advertising something terrible, but uh, when I type Dukes of Hazard into Google... The first suggestion after Hazard was podcast, so there must oh, be a Dukes of Hazard podcast of some kind out there. Uh, I remember uh, my old office mate from MTV, who's um, been one of my very, very good friends here in California for the last 16, 17 years, a guy named Corey Moss. He actually did a set visit when we were both at MTV to the Dukes of Hazard movie, if I'm not mistaken. I seem to remember him posting pictures with various people and things um i don't know was that movie i mean i can only assume based on the cast and the time period and the director it had to be like kind of a satirical take that was kind of mocking the dukes of hazard i would imagine yeah taking the piss as they say yeah although i don't i don't think anyone liked it i don't think it did well critically or commercially I'm sure this is fascinating, by the way. To, you know what? I just <laughs> we just we're, we just got to go with being ourselves. So far, it seems to be working, which brings us to the topic for this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, reader meet author. Should we call it that? Sure. Ooh, you know what? I think I just named the episode, which I wasn't even intending to. Hope I don't get our podcast canceled since that's a Morrissey reference, and he is now more taboo than Pantera and Varg by Kearns. <laughs> That, that's actually uh, Richard Spencer's uh, Coachella alternative lineup. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Core, Morrissey, and... Uh, Speaking of the sp stars and bars, who's going to go back and edit all the stars and bars out of everything Pantera? That hasn't happened. No, because <laughs> I think anyone who's still okay with that is just going to be okay with that. Uh, agreed. Yeah. So, yeah, so let's talk about, uh, you know, you and I and our ongoing text conversation between episodes. I've uh, been talking about part of our initial, uh, the genesis of this podcast and our intentions with it and how that's developed in terms of our, what our own measure of success was coming out of the gate and the kind of feedback we've been getting from people both close and far from each of us in our respective personal and professional lives. So I'll let <laughs> yeah. you, I'll let you take it from there. Well, I, it's, it's interesting because anytime I talk about 
the podcast, the way I explain it, which I, I've learned that there's literally no way to make this sound compelling when I'm explaining it to somebody. <laughs> it's like a, you know, like just listen to it. You have to, you have to be there. You know, you know what? The, hey, what, what's your elevator pitch? Take the stairs with me. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, my elevator exactly. pitch. Walk and talk. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing too, is when I'm explaining this to people, I'm like, I would never listen to this podcast. If somebody explained it to me like this, but just trust me, it's, it's worth it. So when I tell people about it, I'm, I go into the, you know, this was, this was rekindling an old friendship as part of, you know, a journey toward, you know, a more well place mentally, you know, working through like a midlife crisis, crisis of faith. So I started texting you again, just to, to try to reconnect a bit and rebuild the relationship that we had. And then you know the the fateful text of why is this not a, a podcast and then some, the really 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 cool outcome of this even though you know our listener numbers are still small it's the amount of very specific feedback we've been getting from people who know us very well who know us in passing or who don't know us at all you know who have heard it secondhand through family members or friends or or just however so it's it's been cool to have the somewhat unexpected effect of being able to have really open and honest conversations with people with the ice already broken mm. you know like like we're we're already just smashing through so much of the the small talk or the the awkwardness or the anxiety about addressing things and just saying like fuck it let's do it live just start just go right to the shit that we need to talk about and let's talk about it. And it's been nice to, to do that with other people too, you know, not to the extent, but even just knowing that other people have, you know, are heartened to hear it or feel more courage to speak whatever they feel, you know, that's, it's already been worth it, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to describe it. And this is why, uh, we, provide a nice uh, complimentary chemistry with our co-hosting because uh, you, you put it perfectly that we've we've broken the ice already to make people feel comfortable just blasting us with a text that is uh, would otherwise be the kind of conversation you get into maybe at three in the morning uh, when, only t <laughs> when only two of you are awake driving the van from one show to another but uh, you yeah. know it's like very uh that kind of stuff that rarely happens or needs special circumstances. Like we've almost inadvertently, uh, you know, really there's a lot of parallels to music that we love and comics that we've loved and so on and so forth in the sense that we started creating this probably more than anything I've been part of creatively since my late teens solely for our own benefit. And with the idea that, <laughs> Hey, hopefully someone else will like it and connect to it, be amused by it, whatever the case may be. But we're doing it for ourselves, and we we could uh, we could almost be you know we're just sort of setting it adrift when we're done, and it's the, the message in the bottle you know winds up at the bottom of the ocean or on a beach or who knows where, and uh, you know it's been it kind of exhilarating to see the way that it's been impacting people in such a short time and the kind of feedback we've gotten, which we'll be getting into here in a little bit more detail. But yeah, I think uh, you've really hit upon 
why that is and how this has worked. And as you said, you know, our listenership is small at the moment, but again, a very akin to many of the things that have been so important in our, in our lives where, you know, you, you could take a band that sold 3 million records and had hits on the radio and put them on the cover of your magazine. I'm of course using a frame of reference from like 2005 when people bought records <laughs> and magazines and sell, you know, 10% of the copies you would sell, you know, putting a band that sold a hundred thousand records on there. If that was the kind of band where every one of those hundred thousand people would buy a magazine with that band on the cover. So yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously feel really good about that type of audience in most things and especially since again like really good bands and that sort of thing we didn't come together to do this with the intention that this was you know Hoosier Illusion is going to pay our respective mortgages you know <laughs> the idea was uh, we just we wanted to do it and we're we've fitted in to our otherwise hectic schedules also I want to jump backwards for just a moment for anyone listening to this who knows us really well or doesn't know us at all when we talk about reconnecting over text and that developing into doing this podcast and relationship restoration we didn't have a falling out there wasn't any sort of you know we, we weren't like bitterly avoiding one another and then you know cautiously inched back into each other's lives we've always which been which is ironic because we've done that with like hundreds exactly. of people independent <laughs> of one another that's where i was going i was like that's weird because that's kind of our thing yeah. um and yeah it didn't it didn't really happen with us at all uh you know we were always cool quote unquote it's more that you know distance in terms of geography and also just sort of you know the busyness of everyday life and starting careers and families and everything that you just kind of do going into adulthood. There's only so much time in the day. And this was, yeah, and, you know. and I think that's, that's the, that I think is a root cause of a lot of men's unhappiness is that a lot of our relationships die from neglect, not because there was any sort of acute illness or problem with them. It's just, we, most of us at least, are raised without, uh, we're not Im imbued with a belief that the relationships we have are important, or if we think that they're important, the that notion is, is beaten out of us over time. So we always prioritize work, family responsibility, you know, like nuclear family responsibilities, you know, uh, all, all the stuff that we're told is our like manly duties never includes having relationships for ourselves. And so that, that was the context for me of like, of wanting to reconnect is because like I had, I had so many Ryans in my life, you know, none that were, uh, only a handful that were ever as close as you and I were at one point. But my, my social circle is essentially a bunch of people that I just stopped engaging with over time, you know, and I could give myself reasons why like, Oh, this or that, but it was just choices. Like I would choose to send one more email instead of answer the phone 
or take on one more task instead of finding time to go have a drink with somebody or, you know, just like I would promise to email and never do it because there's always something else that I could do that was less awkward, less uncomfortable. You know, you get into this spiral of why we haven't talked to you in so long and I feel bad about it. So I'm just going to keep avoiding it. And, you know, you wake up 20 years later and you haven't talked to your sister, you know? So, yeah. So that's, that's, maybe that's the most relatable thing about the podcast so far. It's just that general like lack of ability to maintain relationships into adulthood outside of, you know, partners and work and fuck even work, you know, like very few work friends that I've made in the last 20 years are people that I talked to after I left that place of employment. Right. And, and it, it's also, you know, we all have that camaraderie, sometimes as far back as elementary school, for some people, high school, college, but particularly those of us who spent our formative years in something like the hardcore scene or, <laughs> uh, or uh, you know, countless youth crew hardcore songs and so on. We all sort of expected to keep the you know i guess we it, it seemed more effortless then and honestly it was when we had a lot less to do yeah it's something that i've noticed that became a bad habit of mine and, and probably still is is you know as the uh, as you're battling against your inbox every day if i get an email from you know a neil tafflinger in my life say let's say you know two years ago you had written me a 1500 word email that was an outpouring of you know a lot of things we've talked about on this podcast I would read it, I would absorb it, I would analyze it, I would be moved by it, and then I would say to myself, man, I really got to, I've got to respond with something of equal weight. I got oh, to, yeah. uh, you know, I got, yeah. to ma I got to match this pound for pound and, and really let I him know. I have to honor the effort. Yes, and so then I would go, so I'm going to set this very important, meaningful email aside because <laughs> I got 50 emails to answer that are, two sentence replies of like timely business yeah. shit. And then I would, the, the result would inevitably be that I wouldn't get back to you at all. And then that leaves the person on the other end going like, well, fuck that guy. <laughs> Where, yeah. Whereas in my mind, I'm like, no, 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 I didn't get back to you because you're the most important of all. It's totally backwards, but it's such a, yeah, I bet it is relatable because I bet it does happen in adulthood a lot. I've, I've certainly stumbled across some think pieces and, you know, that reference different studies about loneliness setting in for adult men, you know, and, and just oh, yeah. and what a uh, that you need to put effort into maintaining relationships. You know, one of my very good friends, Dave Quiggle, we had emailed an article back and forth on this topic a while back. And, uh, you know, he was telling me about another mutual friend of his, his and mine where they had... I don't know if it was Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or, but there was some show where they made it a dedicated, like a point to one night a week, they're going to get together and watch that show. And it was sort of a subconsciously. And then at some point, very consciously friendship maintenance, the way that you got to do in a marriage, you know, of just like, yeah, if we don't designate, if we don't carve out the space to nurture and maintain these relationships that are important, which are things that like dudes never talk about, you know, yeah. um, that in and of itself trying to, I mean, you know, one dude texting another dude going, Hey man, uh, 
<laughs> I haven't talked to you in a while. We really need to uh, I want to water the plants of our yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so, it, yeah, and it does take effort. And I think, you know, this podcast is a very tangible example of setting aside the time and making it happen and seeing where it leads you. And it reminds me of, you know, how easy it is to take some of these relationships for granted. Because like you said, when you said you've had, you know, a handful of downies in your life. Yeah, I've had a, a lot of Neils in my life in, in that same sense too, of um, people where we were extremely close uh, for, you know, some length of time. And then it's, I don't even want to say that you drift apart because a lot of them are friends where we can and do easily pick right back up when the opportunity presents itself. But, but you just, but you do just lose touch. You just, you get busy and you, and it's, and you know, and for all of the many distasteful things to criticize about social media, one of the things that I find to be positive about it is it does provide me with some sense of what's happening with a lot of people I care about that I otherwise just wouldn't be in regular contact with. I like seeing, you know, everything Ryan Patterson's doing with photo crime and that he's going on tour and that he's making t-shirts with cats on them and that he's, uh, you know, gotten really into fitness and totally changed his diet and lost a bunch of weight. And, and I haven't seen him in person in a, in a few years. And I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to him on the phone in probably three or four years, but I still feel close to him. And a lot of it comes down to the authenticity of the person, right? Because of course we're not putting our real selves on social media and we try to make everything look perfect and blah, 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 blah. But I give a lot of my, my actual friends, like the Neil Tafflingers, the Dave Quiggles, the, the Ryan Pattersons that fit in this category. Like I give all of you credit that you, you are presenting something more authentic because you're generally a more authentic person. So, uh, you know, in that regard, I think social media can, a, can be a less helpful. glamorous life and that helps. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm thinking more in terms of, you know, there's some people that I know a little more casually who are very much, yeah, I mean, we can all think of people in our yeah. life that are the social media, like, look how great my life is. Yeah. And you all, of course, well, you always wonder what they're, what they're compensating for there. It's, it's two, two things that came up in what you just said. One is that, strangely, my experience with social media, I, I, I felt that way for a long time. And then I realized because my job was so heavily predicated on using social media that I withdrew. I got so good at that, at maintaining an audience, so to speak, that I mistook that for having human relationships. Mm. And I, I think that social media is a great extension of relationships. And in, in rare instances, I think you can actually become friends with people online. Of course, there's always going to be a limit to how how deep that connection can be just virtually. But one of the reasons I started scaling back my social media use a, a couple of years ago was because I knew I needed to invest more time in people in, in 3D because 
I was I was managing, you know, a thousand Facebook friends instead of going out to have coffee with one of them every week, which in the end is a much more rewarding life than, you know, making sure that I have a great click through rate on uh, on my social posts. And the other thing that it's funny that you brought up Ryan Patterson, because and hopefully hopefully if he hears this, he won't get bigly mad that I'm talking about it on uh, on the podcast a couple years maybe or a year after I started withdrawing from the scene, whatever you wanted to call it at that point, like the, the, the grown up hardcore scene, the grown up punk, heavy music, whatever scene. Neil, um, just real yeah. quick in like three or four words. What is hardcore? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, so Coliseum was, I don't know, on tour with Baroness or something like they were, they were, coming through Indianapolis and or had just come through Indianapolis. And I think I might've gone to the effort of like messaging Ryan to say like, sorry, you know, sorry, I missed you. Like I knew it was happening. Didn't go because of a lot of, a lot of shit swirling around in my head at that point, having like recently retired from, music in general and his his response was it wasn't like it wasn't mad it wasn't like wasn't bitter or anything it just was like it's weird to come to indianapolis and not see you Hmm. and that like that just fucking speared me and it's bothered me ever since because it was one of those things where like i i liked that guy a lot i spent a lot of time with him i i considered him a friend i you know we stayed at each other's houses we played shows together he designed records that my bands put out and i couldn't get out of my own head enough to like figure out childcare and like asking my wife if i could have a night to myself to go see this guy that i have history with at a bar, you know, in the middle of the week, I just couldn't, I couldn't see my way to like get the, the mile and a half from my house to the club on a Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever to go see his band, which I like and still listen to. And that like, that was the, that was the prison that I'd created for myself. Like I had all these reasons why I couldn't or shouldn't do things. And then I was constantly bitter about the fact that I couldn't or shouldn't do these things. And I just never, I never was at peace with any of it. Like I felt like it was, I was doing stuff that I should do and I was pissed that none of it was making me happy. Mm. And then at the, you know, at the same time I was hurting people's feelings because they didn't understand why I just, you know, it's like my, my dad moved to Arizona for a fucking decade and I couldn't, manage to plan a trip to go see him you know like there's just always stuff that needed to be taken care of stuff that needed to be paid for it yeah we've got a dad episode coming soon everybody (laughs) yeah yeah so like this is this is stuff that like i've had to i've had to work on forgiving myself for because you know like i just i was I was emotionally handicapped for a long time and now I'm, I'm still in, uh, I guess, emotional occupational therapy right now, learning how to do simple things. So 
Uh, I, I continue to, to try to give myself grace for that. So, <laughs> reader reactions, reader reactions. I'm so analog. Let's dig into the mailbag. You know, obviously we'll be careful not to reveal anything that's too sensitive that people would be mad to hear said on here. One friend I heard from was my pal Matt Mentley, who I initially met as the guitar player for Throwdown circa about 2003 or so. I started managing the band January 2004. That's just kind of biographical information, but more importantly, he's somebody that, you know, I've had a lot of meaningful conversations with over the years about all sorts of things totally unrelated to music. Somebody, you know, where we've, we've shared a lot of values and that sort of thing. And, you know, and he's a husband and a parent. And see, it's funny because in, in some ways it seems like it was a month ago, but it was probably like two years ago. We uh, went on went on a mandate to uh, a comedy show, I think. I remember where we went, but now I'm forgetting who we saw. But anyway, like, yeah, we made, we made like an actual, like, you know, let's go to dinner and go to a show. <laughs> and, and it was awesome, you know, and we've had a couple opportunities to catch up here and there, but, but definitely someone who falls in that category of we're both just busy and it's super awesome when we see one another, uh, but it just doesn't happen often. You know, there's no, there's not even a monthly coffee date, let alone a, a weekly one. He texted me, who's your illusion is really hitting home for me, man. I loved the first episode, but didn't really know what it was going to become as the episodes went on. It's really become impactful to me. Even though I don't know Neil, I relate to a lot of what he shares. I know you, obviously, so that connection makes sense. It's really been a positive thing for me over the last week or so, and I've been that I've been listening to it. Just wanted to share that. Uh, and then he went on to say later, Rad to hear something so open and honest that's pretty much just a conversation between friends. I imagine it will make some people feel uncomfortable, maybe. But for people that are willing to listen and look deeper at themselves, it's an awesome thing. And that's like, if that was the only response we ever got from anyone about the podcast, I I would say mission accomplished. You know, it's just like that's yeah. every sentiment that I could that I could hope for, you know. I've been collecting them in, in clusters, and I think the most... The most commonly shared sentiment is that the conversations are, at least in the first you know six weeks of doing this, we've gotten into stuff that people felt but weren't able to articulate or didn't know, didn't even know they wanted to say it, but it was... You know, the the cathartic emotional version of the iPod, like we made something that they didn't know they wanted, but they did. <laughs> right. And that's that's been that's been cool because this words have always been my thing. Like I've always been a talker. I've always been a writer and I've always I've always been able to articulate myself, maybe not emotionally, but once I started learning how to apply <laughs> the skills I developed for everything else to my emotional work, I think I'm able to, I find stuff, identify stuff, label things, describe things in ways that hopefully give other people 
shortcuts. Hey, for fans of, you know, if you like this emotional distress, you may also like this thing. It's so hard to talk about this stuff if you don't have... It's so hard to talk about this stuff, period, you know? And if you're not a talker and if you're not a writer and you're not used to trying to pin down details and describe things... It's like I've described things for a living for 20 years, and that's just not how normal people... Well, normal, whatever. That's not how most people live. So... You know, turning turning the gaze inward and and talking about how this machine works. You know? Like I said, if if this ended today, I'm happy that we did it. If we keep doing it and five people find value in it and are able to work through some of their own shit uh, more easily because of it, then I, I can die more satisfied than I would otherwise. Yeah, and I, that's a good way to also. <laughs> so, you know, you're always laughing at my transitions. Our, our segues are such crap. It's like they are long-winded, long-winded. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, not, not so much a pregnant pause as I, I wanted to. To again, you've kind of articulated something that had been swirling around in my brain that I hadn't quite arrived at yet, which is, yeah, perhaps people are relating to this partly because professionally creatively um we we both tell stories for a living i would add to that we're also both um in conversation a lot for a living and generally <laughs> generally for me i'm sort of on the side of the table where i'm establishing a rapport and building trust but it's really about the guest or the interview subject you know i'm really trying to elicit noteworthy things from them and shape some sort of narrative in the conversation. It's less about me. And I like to think that parts of me come out in those settings, particularly if you listen to and or watch and or read more than one of them. This is altogether different because it's talking about stuff that I don't generally talk about ever with anyone, let alone in any sort of public setting. But yeah, I hadn't thought about it until I heard you say it. You know, a real advantage for Hoosier Illusion is that we are storytellers by trade. So, you know, when we get uh, some of these messages, I've gotten a lot of, yeah, if there's kind of an overarching theme to the feedback I've gotten, it would be, you know, most people who have, it's all been over text. Most people who've texted me about the podcast have said that we're talking about things that they more or less thought only they were dealing with. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. hearing this, they're like, oh, uh, okay, <laughs> this is very relatable. Um, I didn't know this yeah. was even a thing for other people. It's totally a thing for me. And I also, one thing, and I, you know, and I, I won't mention the friend by name, but a, a good, good friend of mine who I'm in pretty regular contact with actually related something that I said about my dad uh, from, you know, during my childhood to his re own relationship with his now adult and teenage children and sort of, you know, seeing some parallels between, yeah, you know, that and his own much more recent experience. Um, and that was something that was unexpected and obviously pretty awesome. I, th I think about our peers listening to this in terms of maybe relating it to their own, uh, you know, a lot of Gen X experiences and so on, but to then kind of have that turned around like they're relating they're <laughs> they're listening to stories of uh fathers and sons um and thinking about themselves as a father of their adult child 
was not something that had occurred to me would even happen. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty awesome. My, uh, my my sister, who I've had a lot of really deep conversations with over the course of my life, and of course, you know, we share a family, so our frame of reference is pretty similar. Uh, it's still shocking how different, you know, a few years um, and a different literally different physical perspective on things changes changes how you view uh, the past or or family dynamics my sister texted me a couple uh, days ago a week ago about a conversation she and one of her friends had because she was relaying some something i'd said or one episode that we talked about my family stuff and her friend just started telling her about her own childhood sort of unprompted. And she's known this woman for a decade plus, I'd say. And it was like all a revelation, like nothing that they'd ever talked about or gotten into before, but it created an opening or was some sort of trigger for her to share all this stuff. So why is so short, you know, like why I think we got us, stop worrying about being comfortable. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like there's just, yeah, no... well, and, well, and also being vulnerable. Cause I think that's also what it comes down to is a lot of our, our discomfort with sharing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is, uh, you know, because of the vulnerability that's involved and whatever trauma has, uh, discouraged us from opening up to people, whatever fears we have and anxieties about what kind of, reaction we're going to get or or how it might change the way someone views us that's the heart of it really so this is this is how this is how far i've taken it recently i was in a a, a new business meeting with a prospective client somebody I'm, I'm hoping to do work with and we what i what i said to her is that the challenge of what i do now is that I'm not trying to sell a product or a patented three-step process or like it's me. Like if you think that I am a good partner to do marketing and, you know, business strategy with, but if you don't want to hire me and my, you know, unique perspective on things and then it's not going to be a good fit. And we were, we were talking about vulnerability and like, she actually liked the fact that I was being so direct about emotional motivations for work. Because if you're in marketing, like you might as well not bother with rationality because it doesn't really factor into most decisions people make. Something I've been trying to, to articulate for a while finally came together. And it was, you know, for a long time before, you know, alt-right shitheads weaponized the word snowflake to use against people who like have consciences. I used that word as like, you know, a, a preteen disciple of Henry Rollins's, you know, punk rock, John Wayne, libertarian bullshit. I would mimic his like, you know, you're not a special snowflake thing. Well, yeah, but no, because we we are all snowflakes like we are all unique and we're fragile and we're floating through the air now i'm and, uncomfortable sorry go on yeah we're floating through the air <laughs> and we're adrift and we're all gonna fucking melt 
You know, like we're all going to melt and come back as something else. I don't know. I guess the idea of being insulted by being called a snowflake or or fearing the idea that like you're fragile and vulnerable, you're proving the point. You know, like let's start from a position of accepting that we're all fragile, we're all vulnerable, we're all alone together, and we can either float and melt thinking that there's no one around us that can possibly understand us because we're formed slightly differently than everyone else is. Or we can look around and say, we're all alone together. Being afraid that we'll be seen for who we are is dumb because we're all afraid together. You know, like the only people who are not nervous about how they're perceived are sociopaths, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and like, and, and honestly, like, I mean, hell, like we were talking about me being on Twitter too much lately. Like, you know, the the president has graduated from like, you know, super, super, super thinly veiled racism to just like straight up fucking out racism. Literally go back to your countries, the people who were born here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm watching how how people are defending him, how people are trying to make allowances for it. And it's like it's. It's all rooted in fear and insecurity and uncertainty, and it's all just emotional fragility packaged up in different ways. You know, like there's – I just shared on Facebook the the Ta-Nehisi Coates essay from The Atlantic about Trump being the first white president. There's so much good stuff in there, but, you know, like I have a hard time viewing all these people. Like I definitely get upset about it and them, but at the same time – I feel deeply sad for them because I know that they don't have rational positions. They have fear and resentment and bitterness and self-hatred and thoughts of insecurity and like it all and greed and it all manifests itself in this vile shit that they do and say. So while, yeah, I, uh, I oppose it vehemently, I also can... I guess see the brokenness in them and empathize with them. Not sympathize, but empathize. Well, as much as uh, changes in industry and politics and institutions have been written about and talked about to death by pundits and think pieces and so on, a, a segment of the population who felt culturally left behind, disassociated, and looked down upon, they see themselves as the underdog and as all of the others, as elitists who were ignoring them and or looking down their nose at them or mocking their religious beliefs or whatever the case may be. And now this ride we've been on for the last few years is driven by, in their minds, now they're punching back. Now it's like, now how do you like it? Now you like this? Yeah. I I feel like that's something that gets missed because we hear a lot about economic anxiety. We hear a lot about... Uh, white privilege and institutionalized racism and you know all sorts of different things that certainly are ingredients in this stew to be sure but i think something that is just as important in there is this idea that culturally um where you know they go to the movies and they feel like the messaging is all meant for someone else and they 
turn on the television and they feel like it's for someone else. And then when they do hear their own experiences or values referenced, it's in a mocking or patronizing way. Because for their entire lives, nothing was ever for anyone else but them. Right. And we've never... You never had to think about the Little Mermaid being white because white was the default. Yeah. And you're only was, no, you're only noticing that she isn't white this time because, you yeah. know, because you see anything other than white as the other. Every time the president does something outrageous, there's all, there's a sense amongst the outraged, it seems that it's like, okay, is this going to be the one? Like is this are they all going to finally admit what this is and so on and I don't know that there will ever be such a thing. Because that's not the point to them. The point to them is to keep <laughs> sticking it to everyone that they felt like was sticking it to them. Well, yeah, people are still arguing about whether or not the Civil War was about slavery. <laughs> right. It, it, so it's like it doesn't ultimately it doesn't matter what you think. There are historical winners and losers and the losers just get ground into dust and their stories are forgotten. You know, for I was going to say for better, or for worse, but usually it's for worse. Because this isn't a crooked media podcast, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about like broad political themes. But I think, the, I think the point that I that I want to make and I'll keep making is that I see this political moment as being a product of a toxic emotional culture uh, in America, or you know, specifically for for white dudes. Like I said in the first episode, like. My interest it right now is in white dudes getting their heads right because we do a disproportionate amount of damage to other people. The moment we're in is so much about resentment and it's about people who are who never learned how to share. You know, like it sounds very Mr. Rogers, but it's like it's as simple as, hey, can someone else be in a movie? Like, can someone else have a job? Or do you have to have everything? Or does the idea that you might not get everything you want all the time or somebody might get something that you think you deserve, but like, does that throw you into a homicidal rage? Because a, a lot of it does throw guys into homicidal rages and fast food restaurants and schools and daycares and temples get shot up on a regular basis because guys don't know how to handle loss and rejection like it, it literally people die every day in america because dudes don't know how to handle loss and rejection yeah well bagel boss is now doing a celebrity boxing match versus the hide your kids hide your wife guy i don't know if you saw that today no and i, I don't even know what a bagel boss is let me pause for a second and just say that for anyone listening our intent with this podcast certainly hasn't been and won't be to do a political podcast. And if anything, I would, we would like to sh- a little shelter from the storm that is the constant uh, inundation of horrific news coming out of <laughs> the press uh, yeah. from the political sphere. Um, I think what Neil's getting at, which is something he and I have talked about before and how it relates to what we are trying to do on here, is the intersection, the crossroads of... Uh, some of this vitriolic posturing that we're seeing in the political sphere and how that ties into men and trauma and <laughs> uh, anger and culture and all these sorts of things that, that are very much part of the fabric of of what we're doing here. And, and, you know, both of us having 
been born and bred in Indiana. We also have a very specific and unique perspective on flyover country. So, you know, that kind of stuff is going to come out on this show. But yeah, but what we're, we're not going to do is turn it into a podcast where we talk about the latest outrage. Bagel Boss Guy is this guy who uh, this video went viral that someone recorded of him flipping out and losing his shit on a bunch of women working in a, oh, in a bagel okay. shop. Okay, okay, in a bagel boss shop. Yeah, I googled bagel. Okay, oh, now I get. Okay, so I've seen that video. I didn't okay, know that so you've he was seen the video. Bagel yeah. Boss. yeah, well, that's the nickname he's gotten now is Bagel Boss, and now he's been he's been doing interviews. He has a manager, and he's scheduled a celebrity boxing match with the hide your kids, hide your wife guy, uh, <laughs> which which are all better better alternatives to him uh, shooting up a Bagel Boss type establishment, which I think most of us when we watched that video definitely could foresee that possibility. I saw him on a podcast radio show that I watch on YouTube that's hosted by two comedians who I like. And as soon as I saw that he was the guest, I was like, oh man, are we, are we giving this guy oxygen? And then when I saw sort of what they were doing from a comedic standpoint with the tone of the interview and the kind of the, the way they were reacting to him and this and that, it was a lot of quiet and subtle and smart sort of dunking on this guy for an hour, which is a type of humor that I enjoy. But then when I see the TMZ story a couple hours later about, all, you know, the continuing sort of boulder down the hill that is this guy in, in his 15-minute window, it's just like, man, are, are, why are we amplifying these <laughs> voices? I think yeah. we should be studying them, though, because, yeah, sure, it, it does lead to mass shootings. So I don't know, but it does, but it does tie into one of your kind of recurring themes of late, which is men not knowing how to deal with rejection or failure or yeah. My point in bringing that up, I guess, is how it sort of ties back into why we, we would even be talking about Trump on this podcast and more, more specifically Trump supporters. True crime podcasts are like insanely popular now. And I love crime fiction i love true crime i like forensic stuff like growing up my dad was constantly reading that stuff reading about the psychology of you know serial killers and sociopaths it's fascinating to me but i when I, what i'd have trouble with i keep starting podcasts or starting shows or whatever and what i realize quickly is that there's no greater truth being mined it's just Here's a podcast about a really gruesome series of murders <laughs> and how gruesome they were. And we're going to talk in detail about how gruesome they were. And this podcast is brought to you by Ring. Everyone needs a home security system. So it's just like prurient sort of car, you know, looking looking at the, the car wreck as you drive by slowly kind of bullshit the humans do. What I can't sort out in my head is like when does looking at bagel boss guy when does it stop informing our understanding of what's wrong with this country or with this culture part of which is why does this guy have to be shit on his entire life and conversely why can he not learn how to deal with shitty stuff that happens because shitty stuff happens to everybody when do we go from that to Har har! Look at this tiny bagel boss guy. He's gonna get into this fight with bed intruder 
and it's going to be massive lols. I guess I'm looking, I'm looking, and someone else is looking, and we're looking at different things. How do we get something out of this? You know, like, I guess maybe the answer to me isn't just, like, not giving it air, but, like, how do we have smarter conversations about this stuff? And is that even possible? Is it just normal for humans to be here for the bullshit and for that to be enough for some of us? Hey, Neil, uh, where can people email us feedback if they don't have our phone numbers to text us with? Hoosierillusion at gmail.com. That's super and easy. And I would say I am available for celebrity boxing matches with any <laughs> viral meme star who wants to fight me on a TMZ stream. Who wants to come get – who wants that smoke, son? I will fight Bagel Boss Guy or Bed Intruder, amateur boxing rules, pro boxing rules – uh, I don't know if you saw a few years ago, there was an, it might have been an MMA fight. But there was a fight between Benji Madden of Good Charlotte and <laughs> and Ricky Rackman, former host of MTV's <laughs> Headbangers Ball. Now, I will preface this uh, with, with uh, full disclosure, you know, to disclose my conflicts of interest. Benji Madden has been my guest at my MI Conversation series that I host at the Musicians Institute in Hollywood. Uh, Ricky Rackman did sell me a used Volkswagen Jetta in 2001 in Orange County, California. Um, <laughs> among other other um, relationships and, and uh, run-ins and communications and so on. And, and also, Ricky has agreed to be a guest on a forthcoming episode of speak and destroy and um as recently as a few weeks ago uh i turned in a bio to one of benji's management clients which he sent me a very very extremely flattering response to so with all those disclaimers out of the way of my personal relationship as it were with ricky rackman and benji madden here's what's funny about that story so benji had gotten super ripped and super into mma and apparently Ricky Rackman was talking shit about Good Charlotte, as people are wont to do uh, in, in some medium, the radio or something. I don't remember the exact story, but basically it, it ended in the two was of them. Was it on Jason Ellis's show? Because it seems like Jason Ellis was like in the middle of this. Maybe, but they, they whatever the circumstances were, they ended up fighting. And Benji, who trains, and Ricky, who doesn't really, you know, Benji... Uh, handled ricky quite effectively and, and easily and but i gotta i <laughs> i gotta give some credit to ricky rackman because immediately after the match and the like post-fight interview with both guys standing there the reporter you know says something to the effect of like yeah so you know uh benji madden just kicked your ass bro like you you know that was it was a staggering defeat or so, something along those lines. And when it's Ricky's turn to talk, he's like, yeah, he totally kicked my ass. He kicked my ass. But you know what? Like, when we leave here tonight, like, he's still going to be the guy from Good Charlotte. <laughs> 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 and, and whatever your personal opinion about either of these people, that was pretty sick. <laughs> that is good stuff. On that note, email us at HoosierIllusion at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, send, Ooh, us, send, send us your invitations to uh, fights that you would like to see either of us do. <laughs> Full disclosure, we both have some amount of training, although we won't reveal how much because that would spoil the fun. But we, we will fight you in, under the right circumstances. I, I like to say I like my chances against people who can't fight. I often wish that I had a time machine where I could take my current fighting abilities 
back to like say the mid nineties or something, and um, you know fight a bunch of people that don't know how to fight. But now it's like you never you never know who you're running into so and what they know, yeah, or what they think they know. You know, so we've got a lot of other episodes to do. Bring your dad to therapy needs to happen. A lot of things we touched on tonight could spin off into their own episodes. I think the the counter at missing link is an episode. Like yes, how we actually became friends and how that relationship evolved over years. <laughs> we were supposed to get there on the first two and never did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, don't worry, we'll get to it. Yeah, origin stories to be continued. And if you like it, rate and review uh, and yeah. subscribe wherever you listen to weird podcasts. And you have an opportunity, depending on when you're listening to this, you could be the first. Because while there have been ratings, no one has written a review as of yet. That's true. So get we in need there. an early adopter. We do, and we also we need some sort of incentive, like maybe the first twelve people or something get uh, they get to fight us. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrity boxing matches will be scheduled with everyone who reviews the podcast. Enjoy. <laughs> We're gonna get a nice review from Bedroom Invader. What's that guy's <laughs> bed, bed, bed Intruder? <laughs> Oh, man. All right, my friend. I love you. I love everyone who's given us this amazing feedback. And you guys have been great. He's been Neil Tafflinger, and I've been Ryan J. Downey. Go hide my kids and my wife. 